Good morning, good morning. You can have a seat. So glad to be here with you guys. How's everyone's Christmas? Good? Okay, I know Tim already said it, and usually when we talk about the weather, it's kind of like small talk, but like, how about the Christmas weather? So awesome. Um, so my kids just like opened up all their stuff and was like, send them outside. Just go play with them outside. I don't care what it is. Um, so we had, we had a blast yesterday. Um, our kids got, I was telling some people, our kids got all kinds of fun stuff. We got Legos. We just got like a little, um, little like bunk bed for her dolls. Got a bunch of art supplies. The kids got bikes, which is super like iconic and fun. Yesterday we're at my in-laws and, we, and they said, Liam, what was your favorite gift you got? And he said, oh, I got Rudolph. And they're like, Rudolph, what's that? And he's talking about, after all the stuff we got him, he's talking about last week at the youth Christmas party, he acquired this like tiny Rudolph clock that has a really like self-confident nod. He goes like this. <laughs> and, and he's like, that's my favorite thing I got. And we're like, oh my gosh, like after all the shopping. So the moral of the story is just get your kids free stuff and they'll be happy with it. So, um, so uh, but I always think this is funny and people ask, how was your Christmas? Because it's like, well, how much time do you got, you know? Um, this is okay to say, just fine, good, thumbs up, you know? Um, but the, the truth of the matter is, if we know each other, and if we've got time, I'm really asking for a story, right? Story is the language of the heart. It's the way that we, like, best connect with each other. If my mom calls me and asks, how was your Christmas? You better believe a fine isn't going to suffice, right? She wants detail. She wants stories. And she wants like a zillion pictures of all the kids and their stuff. Um, and so um, God knows that story is the language of the heart too, because that's what the Bible is. The Bible is a story. At our um, four o'clock Christmas Eve service, we read this passage from one of my favorite books ever, seriously, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, I like always like tell my kids, like, okay, we're going to read this because I need it. Dad needs this tonight. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to read you a passage from it. This is from the very beginning where it talks about the importance of story. Check it out. It says, No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one that he loves. It's the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. Isn't that great? Um, so understanding the Bible as a story has really helped me in my spiritual walk with the Lord. G.K. Chesterton, this great apologist of C, like C.S. Lewis's age, said that um, I've always thought of the Bible of life, first of all, as a story. And if there is a story, there must be a storyteller. So when I think about the story that God is telling, um, I start to wonder, how do I see God's big story in Scripture? And how do I see God's story working itself out in history? And what's God's story he's telling in, in my life? And how, do, how does my little life fit into God's big story that he's telling? So when we talk about God to people, the best thing we can really do is share a story, right? We often think that we have to have kind of our apologetic nailed down, but really if people ask us about our faith, they're not asking for some kind of perfectly polished theological paper. They're asking us for our story. But when I tell my story, it's good for others, but it's also just good for me. When I talk about how God's comforted me in the past, I'm comforted right then. 
And when I talk about God moving in my life in the past, I begin to listen for ways that he's moving in my life today, opening up doors today and speaking, guiding me today. So telling our story to others um, encourages us just as much as then, if not more so. So today's little, little Bible story um, comes in an awesome part in God's bigger story, capital S story. It's a story about God's call to the furthest, the least likely, and their subsequential mission he sends them on with the, with the good news. It's the story of the Magi, or the wise men. Um, so before we get started, before I forget, let's pray and ask that God would open up his word to our hearts. God, we ask that you can be here with us this morning, uh, speaking to each of us, showing us the wonders of your love revealed in um, the story in the Bible. Speak through me, use my humble words as just as, as, as a conduit of your grace and love here. Amen. So today as we outline the Magi story, we're asking these questions. What is God's story he's working in my life? And how does my little story play into God's larger story? And we're going to focus on the story of the Magi and see if the same kind of principles can apply to our lives. Um, so here's another way to put it. My friend and colleague, Tim Henderson, likes to say that the gospel comes to us on the way to somebody else. So the gospel came, the gospel, which is the good news of this new king, came to the Magi on the way to, to their hometowns. So we're going to talk about it at the end. Um, here's our outline for this morning. The first is, what was the Magi's story? Second off, what did their story lead them to do? Third off, what, where did they take their story afterwards? So the Magi's story, what did their story lead them to do, and where did it take them afterwards? Okay, so um, real quick, who were the Magi? I don't want to shout out any, any fun facts or interesting nuggets about the Magi. What do you got? Who were the Magi? What else do we call them? Wise men. Were they kings? Anybody know? Some people say we three kings of Orientar. It's not in the Bible, but some people speculate they might have been kings. But it's a beautiful song anyway. What else do we got? They were studying the stars. That's right. They, they looked to the stars for guidance. Yep, exactly. We'll come back to that. Um, anything else? How many were there? Okay, so we always say three. Why do we say three? Because uh, it's in the song. Yeah, exactly. Um, you see it, all of those, everyone assumes there are three. Maybe there are three. Likely there was more. There's three gifts they brought, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? The three gifts they brought. So it could have been 30, could have been 45, who knows? Could have been four. Um, but these are basically um, magicians who study the stars, and they have this, um, no one said this, but they have this ability to decipher and discern dreams. They're like advisors for the kings, kind of like... Um, like uh, Daniel and, and Joseph also in the past. So they had this like, ability to like, decipher dreams. And the word um, magi, uh, we where we get the word magic from. They had this ability to do like magic tricks, I don't know what kind, card tricks, who knows what they did back in the day. Um, and uh, what was the other thing they did? Okay, yeah, and they also looked at the stars. And so the cool thing about that is that they looked to the stars for, for hints of what God was saying to them. They looked at the Bible, they didn't pray, but when they saw God at work in the stars, they followed him so they actually met Jesus, which I think is pretty awesome. So um, here's another reason the Magi were really unlikely guests. Um, do you know where they're from? Likely Persia, which um, is also called Babylon. So Babylon, how does is, how is Israel feel about Babylon? Are they cool with Babylon? 
No way. Babylon had um, enslaved them and, and taken, their, taken Jerusalem and desecrated their temple, all kinds of terrible stuff. And so all these things, like the Magi are like, honestly, the most random people to show up at, in Bethlehem looking for the King Jesus. They're the most unlikely guests you can imagine. Um, they didn't wear the right clothes, speak the right language. They probably smell different, different social norms. They knew virtually nothing about the God of the Bible, yet there they are to greet the boy Jesus. So here's something interesting. If you were inventing a religion that might be like perfectly compelling, crafting a perfect argument, um, would you include magicians from the rival nation as some of the first people to greet your new king? Like, no way. You would not include that story in there. And so my question to you is, why is it in there then? First off, because it actually happened. Like, Matthew's telling us, like, I can't make this stuff up, guys. Like, magicians from Babylon were the first people to come worship Jesus. People reading were probably like, what? Like, why did he even include? Couldn't you just have, like, skipped that story? But no, it's right there. Here's another reason it's really important. Um, this story of the Magi sets a global scope to Jesus' mission right off the bat. Because Jesus isn't only the king of the Jews, he's the king of the world. These foreign outcasts are merely the first of many to come and, and greet the new King Jesus. So the Magi are not just last-minute additions to the story. Rather, they're fulfilling a central promise to the story of the Bible, namely that God's glory would spread to the whole earth that people from far and wide could be called and welcomed into the family of God. From the very beginning of the Bible, God planned to bless all nations through one family, through Abraham's family. When they didn't cooperate, God had to come himself in the, in the, in the form of Jesus to, to begin to jumpstart the mission of God's mission to the nations. Um, the Magi are like the first like, trickle of water right before the floodgates open. Um, it's a sign of something much, much larger to come. Namely, that God's plan and this mission to the nations is started. It's begun. Um, so here's what it reminds me of. You guys remember, um, you got to quote C.S. Lewis in the sermon, right? You guys remember uh, C.S. Lewis's first book in the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right? The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. The witch has the whole world under this like evil spell, right? It's always winter and never... Christmas, so sad. It's the worst. Um, always winter, never Christmas. Um, so what's the first sign that the witch's power is breaking, that our new power isn't fading? You remember what it was? Santa Claus shows up, which is always so funny to me. As a little kid reading this, like, Santa Claus made it into the Narnia? But, but he does. And so um, I think they call him Father Christmas, which sounds more like British and proper. But either way, Santa Claus shows up. Um, so uh, check out this, this quote. We'll talk about it. It says, He was a huge man with a bright red robe, bright as holly berries, with a hood that had fur inside of it, and a great white beard that fell like a foamy waterfall over his chest. Now that the children actually stood looking at him, he was so big, so glad, and so real, they all became quite still. They felt very glad, but also solemn. I've come at last, said he. She has kept me out for a long time, but I have got, got in at last. Aslan is on the move. The witch's magic is weakening. And Lucy felt that deep shiver of gladness that you only get if you're being very solemn and very still. 
So Father Christmas is coming is the first hint that the old power is crumbling and a new power is breaking through. Lewis goes on to describe the witch's power um, weakening with the snow melting. And he has this like distinct image, it's always stuck in my head, of the ice melting off the branches with this like drip, drip, drip. It's this like slow, incremental, yet very, very certain, very sure um, sign that Aslan is on the move and his power is growing and the witches is weakening. And so this is cool um, in the story of the Magi because it's true at a global level that like the mission is going to the ends of the earth, but also like the global level is made up of individual people, right? It's made up of us right here. We're, we're part of that mission that God's reached. And so for you, what's been the slow incremental sign of God moving in your life? Maybe it's the first time you met Jesus um, that's the way that C.S. Lewis describes it in his book, Surprised by Joy, is um, the same thing's incremental, kind of shifting over towards Jesus. Maybe it was all of a sudden. Or maybe it's once you knew Jesus, you saw his power working in your life in, in a fresh way, but in a very small way. Um, maybe it was after a season of depression, like the first good day, you could like get out about of your house. Maybe it was after a, um, a long sickness, the time that you could actually stand up out of bed. Or maybe it was after a tense moment with your family, having just a pleasant meal together. What's been like the little sign that Aslan is on the move, that God's working in your life? There's a master storyteller. He's weaving a story. And if we just brush past it, we'll never look back and see. And once we see the storyteller, we can be compelled to share that story with other people, right? So the Magi's first... Um, coming is that is the sign that the witches that the, the, not the witches that the power is weakening, and that Aslan is limited. That, that Jesus is is come, and that his mission is to the ends of the world. So, um, what were the Magi hoping to accomplish when they set out on their journey? So they're packing their camels. People are asking them, "Where are you going to see Baby King?" Oh, okay. What are you going to do when you get there? This is actually so crazy. What would they have answered with? Do you know? Worship. That's those that answer. We're going to worship him. Let's look at the text real quick. Um, they came from the east of Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose. We have come to worship him. At the end of the, end of the um, passage in verses 10 to 11, it says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So they came to worship him. The word worship actually appears in this passage three times, and it's kind of a theme in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, when you hear worship, what do you usually picture? Hillsong, Hillsong yeah, some, some kind of like worship, the, the, the worship station on the radio, right? Um, or just singing songs a couple times a week, right? But I don't think I have to convince you. It's probably not what worship means entirely. The Bible's definition of worship is much broader than just singing songs three times a week. To worship means to express your love and allegiance for someone. We worship when we, we tell who we're, we, we love and who we're loyal to and also why we love him and why we're loyal to him. So this is just so upside down. For one thing, because of the odd characters coming to visit Jesus, and for two, because of their humble submission to him. I want you to picture this. Picture like 
again, foreign dignitaries. They're coming from, you know, almost a thousand miles away on camels. And they get there and they see a boy and they just fall down and worship him. They say with their posture, you're worth my loyalty. You're worth my love and allegiance and I submit to your authority. So to worship is to express our love and loyalty. This is the proper response from them. Um, did you catch in the, in the passage how excited they were? It says it like four times. It says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Just this like over-exuberance, over-excitement to meet Jesus. And I wonder, have you experienced this phenomenon? When you really enjoy something, you've got to share it with somebody else. Um, when you find like a good song on Spotify, you hit the little, what's the little button with the square and the arrow? The share button, right? Hit the share button. People got to know about this. I got to share this with people. I want to like share my joy and excitement with somebody else. Um, isn't it the worst when you have like a really good meal and there's no one around to say like, isn't this good? <laughs> it's like we're like, as we like share about how good something is, it like actually completes our joy, right? Um, and so um, I wonder if like the Magi, we have this posture of worship. By the way, that's what um, hallelujah means. Did y'all know that? You know hallelujah? It just means, the Hebrew word just means praise God, okay? It's, it's not just like a thing you say. It's an imperative. Like it's a directive. Like you guys, you praise God. When you say praise God, it's you tell each other, tell the world how great God is. Yesterday I was in the, um, two days ago I was in the lobby talking with some people and I overheard a conversation where a gentleman said, God's been so good to us, I've just got to tell everybody. And I was like, yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. God's been good to us. We have to tell everybody. Um, so um, do you have a spirit of, of worship, a posture of worship in your life? Sometimes it can be hard to have words to give God. Sometimes we're too tired. Sometimes, I'm too tired. Sometimes we're too distracted or apathetic. Or sometimes we're too sad or even angry. It can be really hard to worship God. And so one little way that I began a habit I formed in my life is just praying the words of Scripture back to God. I use them as like a, like a jump start to my own heart um, so that I can hopefully like begin to pray words of praise along with these passages. So it might be the Psalms for you or some of the prayers you find in the Bible. Personally, one of my favorite ones to do is in Luke chapter 1. It's Zechariah's prayer. Remember Zechariah? He's his son, Remember? John the, John the Baptist, or the baptizer, as the message says. John the Baptist. And um, remember what happens to him when the angel says, you're going to have a son? And he goes to speak, and it's like, right? He's silent. He's mute, okay? I want you to picture this. What if the whole time, the nine months from the time he's mute until the time he's born, what if he knew? What if he knew the whole time that the Messiah was coming, the deliverer was coming, but he couldn't tell anyone? The whole time, he's just waiting, okay? And the first thing, when, it, when his tongue is loose and he can finally speak, you know what he does? He just praises God. He says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. He has come to his people and set them free. He has raised up for us a mighty Savior. These are the first things that he can say. And sometimes in my time of prayer, I pray these words back to God. And it's not a silver bullet, you know, like I still have off days, but oftentimes the words of the Bible actually jumpstarts my heart into a posture of worship. And maybe it could for you as well. When we have a posture of worship, like the Magi, we might find that God sends us on unusual ways to share that, that worship with somebody else. So um, where do they go afterwards? This is the last point. Where do they go afterwards? 
Um, look at Matthew 12, too. This is how the story kind of ends. It's so mysterious, guys. It says, being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So their lives are changed because they know they can't listen to Herod. Herod's the fake king. They can't listen to him anymore. So they worship Jesus with their gifts, but also they worship Jesus with their actions because they say, I'm not going to listen to the fake king. We have to go and be loyal to, to the new king. So this last part is so interesting because it's this like mysterious ending. These like enigmatic, weird guys show up and then they're just gone. It says they just depart by their own country to another way. Just gone. And so the good news of the new king came to them on the way to somebody else. What do you think they did when they got back to their own country? Do you think they were quiet about this? I doubt it. If they could tell Herod, the fake king, that the new king was there, I bet they told their people back home about Jesus. I bet, I bet they were bold enough and excited enough to tell their own people about Jesus. And who knows the impact this, this may have had. But these people have had, the Magi had a reorienting experience. It's an epiphany. Um, so this is an act of worship when they actually talk about Jesus among their own country to their own people. So they worship is not just telling God how great he is, but it's telling others too. It's making him known to those around you. This is what witnessing means, by the way. Witnessing, uh, often we think this is like a, a special Christian word. Really, it just means tell us what you saw. You know, witnessing like a, like a court case, tell us what you saw. And all we can do is just tell the story of what Jesus has done, both in our lives and just to the whole world. Um, so uh, I wanted to show you guys what witnessing looks like for a four-year-old, okay? So you guys might know my, my son, Liam, he's, he's four and a half-ish. And, and uh, four, one of the best parts of raising kids is they just say the best stuff. Um, sometimes they're little monsters. Sometimes it's like a stroke of brilliant, brilliance, and they say the best stuff. Um, so some of you guys might know that my family and I are captivated by this, this very notion of the gospel reaching the nations. And we're planning to, to move to unreached country, Cambodia, which is in Southeast Asia. It's a place where very few people know Jesus. And we're moving there because we believe that Jesus deserves to be worshipped in Cambodia. And so one day when we were deciding whether we should go or not, <laughs> um, you guys ever had this where you just talk things over with your kids maybe or with your friends? And so I was pushing Liam on the swing. It was one of those big like net swings so we can look at each other. I'm pushing him on the swing. And I'm just like, Liam, what do you think, man? Should we go to Cambodia? And he said, well, he always goes, well, do they, do they know Jesus in Cambodia? And I said, no, buddy. Very few people know Jesus in Cambodia. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to go tell them. We got to tell him about Jesus. And, um, and so then I was curious, you know, I was like, well, what's he going to say, you know? So I'm pushing him and I said, Liam, what would you tell him about Jesus? And I'm pushing him back and forth. And he thinks for a few swings. And he says, I want to go tell him they don't have to be afraid anymore because Jesus conquered death. And that's, that's a story to share, isn't it? Like, I, I think so often we get so wrapped up in like, do I have the right the perfect, like, apologetic, or do I have the right footnotes, or what if they ask me this question I can't answer? I might not look stupid, and I really don't think that's what it is, guys. I think it's really just simply sharing the story of Jesus and seeing if the Holy Spirit would use that. So um, my question for you is, what uh, opportunities do you have to tell Jesus' story? A lot of us, we're going to be, uh, we're entering into, like, 
fun holiday time and the parties and everything, maybe there's somebody there that you're like, ah, I've never actually shared my story with them. And I wonder if God would give me a chance to do that. Maybe there's someone there that you, you're even too afraid to do that, but just pray, okay, I'm just going to say Jesus' name and see what happens, you know? Um, or I'm just going to say just a, one, one, one sentence, one sentence about how good God's been to me and to see if, how they feel about it. Um, what comfort does Jesus give you? Just like Liam, how he feels, how he said, that you don't have to be afraid anymore. You know, what, what's like the small comfort that that's God's given you? Maybe as you share, your faith will be renewed and strengthened um, as God gives you the boldness to share. So um, a special word to those of you who are here and maybe you're saying, you know what? I've never thought about God working in my life. In fact, I'm not even sure if he has. I'm not, someone might say, uh, I'm not sure if I know this God. And to you, I might say, what if God's been working in your life up until this very point? What if he's been calming fears and calling you to himself? What if he's brought you right here right now to put your trust in him? What story is a storyteller weaving in your life? This is exactly what Jim Rayburn thought. Um, he was the founder of Young Life, which is uh, a ministry uh, aimed to introduce young people to Jesus, help them grow in their faith. And it was the 40s in Texas and he said that he graduated college with a degree in geology. And he got married and settled down in his house. And he woke up one morning, and this is what he said. He realized there was a school full of people who didn't have the foggiest chance to know the truth about Jesus Christ. They didn't have a chance. And there wasn't anybody there that knew enough about him to tell them. So he dedicated his life to making the story of Jesus available for young people his whole life, and right near the end of his life, this is some of the last words he said. He had his closest friends and family gather on the bed. This was his last directive for his ministry. He said, don't let them stop talking about Jesus. It's the most powerful thing you can do is to, is to talk about Jesus. My word to you too today is don't stop talking about Jesus. He's the one who conquered death for a broken world. He entered into our mess and went through the worst of it absolute worst of it, and he came out on the other side. He came back to life and now offers his gift of life to anybody who would ask him. So tell the story. Tell about his life, his death, his resurrection. Tell what he's done in your life, and just wait and see if the Holy Spirit might use it. The gospel has come to you on the way to somebody else. Who is that someone else for you? We're going to transition now to a time of prayer where you can come forward and either receive prayer at the straight rails or just pray by yourself at the curved rails. And maybe this is a time where you'll ask God, um, God, what's the story you've been weaving in my life? There's some, some mess up stuff has happened to me. How have you been using that in my life? Or maybe, maybe you can confess to God, say, God, I haven't been bold with my story. In fact, I've been selfish with my story. Um, give me boldness and give me... Um, compassion to share your joy, to share your story with those who need it more than I do. Um, maybe, maybe there's specific people in your mind that you're going to see in the next couple of weeks. God, give us me boldness to, to just mention you to this person. As we, as we come and pray, I, I pray that you would encounter the storyteller and that he would speak so um, clearly to you, you know, comfort you, or maybe challenge you where need be. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for coming to us in the person of Jesus. We're so grateful. We can't do anything, but all we can do is to say thank you to you and to express your story and your joy to other people. 
I pray that you would give us boldness to do that. I pray that you would give us um, perspective to see you at work in our, in our lives and that you'll give us simple words to share with those that we love. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.